God, our Father, we love you. And we stand before you as an act of faith. We stand before you believing that you are here and believing that you have something to say. And so, God, we open ourselves to you. We turn our eyes to you and we look full in your wonderful face. We recognize that all we have you have given us and so we turn it back to you now. God, give us open eyes, open hearts, open minds. May we hear from you together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Um, if you uh, would like a worship packet, I think we've got a few more back there. You can work this through in case the sermon gets super boring. Um, I hope that is not your experience. Uh, but if you need one of these, you can head on back there, and the ushers will have one for you should you need them. Um, Kevin uh, did a great job kind of introducing the story and where we're going. Uh, this is a super familiar story we're going to be looking at today. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 men, uh, plus everyone else who was there uh, that wasn't counted. Um, and we know it really, really well. And in order for me to kind of tell the story, instead of looking at one specific gospel account, um, like, like Kevin said, each of the gospel accounts includes this story with some subtle differences along the way. But instead of just looking at one, I want to look at four of them. And to help me tell the story uh, kind of visually, I need ten people. I promise you there's no acting and no word speaking involved. Okay? You just kind of need to stand here with the skill set of holding a piece of paper. So if you feel like that's something within what you can do and you want to do it, uh, kind of put your hand up. I'll point at you. Once I get to 10 people, that's enough. I don't just want kids, by the way. So one, two, three, four, five. Timmer's coming. I'm so excited. And George, six, seven. Beth, eight. Is that Jen? Okay, eight. I know a lot of names of people. Have you noticed that? Jesse, come on up. Nine, one more. Okay. Did I get a 10? Here we go. Paul, come on up. George, can you give one to each person? Okay, so your job, George's going to give you a piece of paper, and if you think you're the start of the story, come on down here. If you think you're the end of the story, come on over here. So as I said before, we're not going to be looking at specifically one account. We're going to look at kind of harmonizing all four versions of the story. This is the part where I really hope I have all of the papers or someone's going to stand here not doing anything. Anyways, um, but the accounts, if you want to look up one specific one, uh, Matthew 14, 13 to 21 has it, Mark 6, 30 to 44, Luke 9, uh, 10 to 17, and John 6, 1 to 15. Now, harmonizing all four Gospels can be a dangerous thing to do, but in this circumstance, I think it's going to give us the ability, looking at all four of them, to understand what Jesus is trying to communicate, what the writers were trying to get across, what they understood about the event. So I'm going to look back here. And see how they think they're doing. Uh, they, need more time. they need more time. You're out of time. Okay, so I'm going to help. All right, so the very, very first one that we're going to look at. Okay, just choose a spot now at this point. Here we go. Excellent. Good. So you guys may need to move just to give you that heads up now. So the very first thing that's hap that happens, as, as Kevin mentioned, the beginning of the story actually sounds like an end. So Beth, I completely understand that you are over here, but you're actually the very first one. Jesus and the twelve leave. That's how the story begins. They get up and go. Right? And there's a reason for that. The disciples and Jesus needed to get away. So just before this story, two of the gospel accounts explain that Jesus has just found out that John the Baptist has been beheaded at a party. So John the Baptist was the one who was announcing the kingdom of God ahead of Jesus coming. So he was saying, repent, come and be baptized, change your ways, the kingdom of God is here. He was the precursor. 
When Jesus was baptized, he was baptized by John the Baptist, right? And John said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was announcing the kingdom, and he has just been killed. John was also Jesus' cousin. So there's some grief for Jesus as he realizes that this ministry partner, his cousin, the plan that's all working out, John's dead. And that's a sad thing. And so he's got a bit of grief going on. The other event that has just happened is the disciples are coming back together, having just been sent out by Jesus two by two all across the countryside, right? And they have been told, go out and preach the good news of the kingdom of God, cast out demons, heal the sick, and don't go with any food or money. Don't take a bag. Watch the provision and the power of God at work as you go. And so the disciples have come back with all of these stories, meeting up with Jesus, who's just heard that John the Baptist is dead, and they need a bit of a retreat, right? And so they hop in the boat, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, right? Now, the crowd recognized Jesus. The people go to meet Jesus. Jesse, you nailed it second, even though you thought you were first. Okay, but the people go to meet Jesus. They meet him in the remote place that they were going to, okay? How big was the crowd? At least 5,000, those were the words I was looking for, at least 5,000. So 5,000 people, or 5,000 men, plus whatever women and children were there. I'm not affirming the fact that they counted that way, I'm just saying they did. Okay? So this is a big crowd of people, 9,000, 10,000 people, somewhere in there. But we call it the feeding of the 5,000. In each of the accounts, it actually says Jesus interacted with the crowd a little bit differently. In Matthew, what Jesus does with the crowd is he heals the sick. Mark says that Jesus saw the crowd, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and so he taught them. In Luke, he harmonizes those two and says, Matthew, or he says, Jesus healed the sick, and he taught them, but he didn't just teach them, he taught them specifically about the kingdom of God. Right? And in John's version, Jesus sees the crowd coming and starts to get the wheels in motion in his brain about what they're going to do to help. Okay? So Jesus and the twelve see the need. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the disciples say, you need to send the people away now. They've been here long enough, they got to get food, we're in this remote place, so just send them off. In John, Jesus says to Philip, hey Philip, where are we going to get enough money to feed all these people? So in all four Gospels, we see that there was an awareness on the part of Jesus and the disciples that there was a hungry crowd in front of them. And so Jesus challenges the disciples, challenges the twelve, come on down here. So they see a need, and where the disciples' solution was send these people away, Jesus' solution was, no, you feed them. You do something about it. And the disciples responded to that challenge by saying, well, we don't have enough money, we don't have any, we don't have what it takes to do this. If we had half a year's wages, that would be enough for everybody to get one bite of bread. Okay, we don't have that kind of money. It's not what we're doing. And so Jesus asks, what do you actually have? Yes, and so they come away with these five loaves and two fish. And in John's account, he talks about them being five barley loaves and two fish, and they were a little boy's lunch. Okay? I try not to picture too close what that was like, give me your lunch, little boy. I don't think it went like that. I think there was a bit more willingness, right? But the barley loaves may actually be a reference back to an Old Testament miracle. In 2 Kings 4, Elisha feeds 100 people with 20 barley loaves. And so you can almost see, as you look back at the Old Testament, that Jesus is saying, you've seen stuff like this before, but never like this. There's a new and better coming. 
That's one of the little hints in the story that we see. So Jesus asks them for what they have, and they come back with five loaves and two fish. Timber, get on over there. Okay, so Jesus gives thanks, looks to heaven, breaks the bread up, and then he gives it to the disciples to pass out, to distribute, sorry. Rephrase that, that's a different picture in my brain. The disciples don't pass out, they give out the food. Uh, they take the baskets to the people, okay? And everybody eats and is satisfied, right? So it's not just the bite that the disciples were talking about, saying they couldn't afford to get enough just for one bite. Everybody ate till they were full. I went to the Mandarin this week with the eagles. I have a good sense of what it means to eat and be filled. Even me, yes. Okay, and then at the end of it, Jesus says, let's not waste everything. Let's not waste anything. Go and gather up everything that's there. And they walked away with 12 baskets full of food. Now, that's not just the scraps of what people didn't want to eat, what was left on their plate. They weren't doing that. This was the stuff that Jesus made that people didn't eat. 12 baskets. Thank you very much, storytellers. I appreciate it. You guys are wonderful. So helpful. And if you could not put those over top of my notes that are hiding there, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Excellent. So, one of the things that I think is really important when we look at the miracles of Jesus is that the miraculous act is not the point. Okay? The point, like when we look at this miracle, it's easy for us to look at it and think, wow, hungry people got filled up. Wow, imagine how the bread and the fish got out to all of those people. That wasn't what Jesus was trying to accomplish. He wasn't trying to just show off his power. He was trying to reveal something about who he was and what he was doing to people. And that's what he does. Whatever miracle we look at, that's what he's trying to help us understand. That there is a new and better kingdom. So how many baskets did they collect at the end? Twelve. Where else have you seen that number in Scripture? There's 12 disciples and 12 baskets. That's convenient. Absolutely. Where else have you seen the number 12? 12 tribes of Israel. So the nation of Israel, their paradigm is their history. They have got 12 tribes. That's how they've been organized. That's how they have understood themselves. And Jesus is coming with 12 disciples very specifically. And there's 12 baskets left over where he is announcing, here is this new kingdom. The fact that this is the first thing he does after he hears that John the Baptist has died, who was announcing the kingdom of God, is really significant. So in this instance of him feeding the 5,000 men plus everyone else, he's announcing there's a new kingdom here and I'm a new kind of king. My kingdom is not a kind of kingdom that sends people away because I'm tired. It's not a kingdom that sends people away because I'm grieving. It's a kingdom of compassion. It's a kingdom of welcome. It's a kingdom where if you're hungry, I'll feed you. And there was a way deeper layer that Jesus was trying to reveal to people in this story about who he was and how he worked. In John 6, as Jesus is talking with the Pharisees after this miracle has happened, he refers to himself as the bread of life, and he's speaking specifically about the feeding of the 5,000. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they had manna in the wilderness when they were wandering. And that manna went bad, and there was only enough for a day. I am the bread of life. I am the bread that comes down from heaven, and I am enough forever. And I am enough for everyone. In Mark chapter 6, what you have is the feeding of the 5,000, 
And then at the end of that event, they get into the boat without Jesus. They go out on the lake and the storm comes up and Jesus walks on the water to come out to them. And in this version, there's no Peter coming out of the boat. It's just Jesus walking and getting into the boat. Okay? And in the middle of this story, you have the disciples wonder at who Jesus is and what he's doing. And then in Mark 6.52, it says, But they hadn't understood about the loaves, and so their hearts were hardened. They hadn't recognized who Jesus was in the middle of the miracle that he had performed. And so they weren't able to process who he was or what he was doing for anything other than a, a wonder maker. They missed out on the heart of God in the middle of that. Miracles are intended to announce the kingdom. They're intended to show us something about who God is and what his mission for the world is. What kind of kingdom does he have? We're going to move into a time of communion, so I'm going to invite the band to come on back up, and I'm going to invite the ushers to go and kind of man your stations. Uh, and as the time comes, I'm going to invite you to go and head on back. If it's going to be served to you today, uh, and if you would like a, a gloved hand to serve the bread uh, to you, you can head on back here um, into this corner. If getting up and moving to a station is difficult for you, just put your hand up, uh, and one of the ushers will come by with bread and cup for you. But here's what I don't want us to miss out on. When we come to the table... We're declaring the miracle of salvation. We're declaring and proclaiming that the kingdom has come. We're proclaiming that this bread is enough. We're proclaiming that this cup is enough forever and for everyone. What a miracle that Jesus has made himself known to us. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for being here. And I thank you for uh, the way you have made yourself known to us. Father, I pray that we would celebrate the wonder of your love as we come to the table this morning. As we take the bread, as we take the cup. God, we recognize that you are Lord. We recognize and acknowledge that we don't deserve to be in your kingdom, but we accept the welcome that you have extended. And we see the cost. We take the bread, we take the cup, and we proclaim <laughs> the new kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the music plays, you guys are free to go to the stations. Um, this is also the time we'll be taking up our offering, so you can leave uh, your envelope or whatever it is in the plate uh, at this point. So looking at the revelation of, of this new kingdom, this announcement of a new kingdom, and this picture of who Jesus was, I want to take a look at what that can mean for us as we look to live lives of extraordinary faith. And if we look at the examples of the disciples, their initial reaction here was, was not what I would describe as a very faith-filled response. It was very practical, right? They looked at it and said, well, we don't have enough money, problem solved, send them away. But that doesn't fit in the kingdom. The disciples saw obstacles where they should have seen opportunity. The crowd actually demonstrates a higher level of faith than the disciples do because they had seen Jesus do it before. They had seen him heal. They had heard his teaching and they went to meet him because they wanted more. That's faith. The disciples have just come off of this trip where they have seen the power of God and the provision of God at work in their lives. And the next chance that they have to respond to it 
They say, well, clearly it's not going to work this time. That was just for back then. It was for a season as we walked, walked around the countryside doing that specific thing he asked us to do. Well, surely that power and provision can't extend over to this new moment. How do we keep ourselves in thinking in a way that helps us remember who God is and what he has done? Well, good job being here. This helps. But I think we need to do a much better job of remembering what we have seen in Scripture, what we have seen and heard reported of what Jesus has done and look to see that in our own lives. I think that we need to do a better job of telling the stories of how we have seen God move in our own lives and sharing that with other people. And we have to do a better job, and I'm pointing at myself when I say this, at turning off the cynicism that says, well, I'm glad you had that experience. It's probably a little different in real life. Well, no, maybe we're missing out on real life because we aren't experiencing what God has for us. Because we aren't seeing the same moves in the same way. How do we learn to see opportunity instead of obstacles? All the disciples could see was their lack. They knew that the need was there. They knew the people needed to eat. Jesus knew that they needed a shepherd. The need, they knew it. But their answer was, we don't have enough. And I wonder how many of us have that experience day after day, and we've done it so often we don't even realize it. I can't show hospitality. My house isn't big enough. My house isn't nice enough. I don't have the right throw pillows. How many of us feel like we don't have enough money to be able to provide for somebody in need? Well, no, I need that. I can't give that away. How many of us feel like we aren't spiritually mature enough to pray for somebody? Or we don't know enough to be able to speak wisdom and blessing into somebody else's life? How many times have you thought, wow, that person needs to be prayed for. Someone else should do it. No, it's the same spirit of God at work in all of us. Living lives of extraordinary faith means capitalizing on these opportunities. When we see a need, use what God has given you. Because when you bring it to Jesus, he does something wonderful with it. Jesus didn't use bread that he made up. He used the bread that was already there. He used the fish that were already there. God has equipped us and given us what we need to accomplish his purposes in his power. That's the lesson of the story. It's the lesson of the kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, there is no such thing as not enough. Another thing that I think is really important for us to recognize and to get our heads around is the fact that um, Jesus invites us into opportunities to work with him in what he's doing. In, the, in John's version of the story, he says to Philip, how much money do you think it would take to feed all of these people? And John gives a little commentary in there, and he says, Jesus already knew what the plan was. He was just sort of testing Philip, right? And this wasn't sort of a pass-fail scenario test. This was a chance for Philip to prove what he believed, to take it from a thing that he understood and actually demonstrate it. I've had a real challenge over the last uh, few weeks. And it's a really, really good challenge. I, uh, I believe that three weeks ago I was prayed for and an arthritic condition in my knee went away. Yes, absolutely. However, 
I also have a cyst in my knee, which is still there. And I have had the hardest time accepting and believing the lack of swelling and the lack of pain and the increased range of motion that I have experienced in the last three weeks. The fact that I've been able to be on the treadmill and actually start running again, I'm still wondering. I still sit there and go, God, what is happening? I want a better answer. I've experienced the healing, and I'm not walking out into it. I felt the need to share that story with you, and that made me super uncomfortable. <laughs> I believe God has done a wonderful thing, and a powerful thing, and I believe that he is at work, and I believe he can, I believe he does, but I experienced it, and it makes me wonder, do I actually believe that? Am I able to take it from my head into my heart and actually act it out and believe on what God can do? It's a challenge for us. Like I said, this testing wasn't a failure on Philip's part in the sense of he failed so he couldn't move on. Right? Philip actually continued participating with the rest of the disciples in delivering on the miracle that Jesus had done. He was a part of the demonstration and revelation of the kingdom of God in that moment. He wasn't excluded because he answered a question wrong. He was still allowed to come along and participate in what Jesus was doing. Jesus gives us all kinds of examples to grow our faith, like a muscle to stretch it and build it up and work it out. We have all kinds of opportunities every day. Take heart if you answer the question wrong at one point along the way. You're still invited. You still get to be a part of this. We've been watching lots of Star Wars at home, okay, um, lately. There you go, Trenton Putin said, I remember that. I was watching that movie with you, okay. And Jesus wasn't like what I picture is using the force, right, and sending the bread to the people. No, he gave the baskets of what he was multiplying to the disciples, and the disciples are the ones who walked it out. Take courage. Jesus is doing the hard work. You're doing the distribution, We have been looking at stories of examples of people's lives that would reflect the concepts and the truths of, of the episodes in Scripture that we see. So a few weeks ago when, when Carl was preaching on uh, the calming of the storm, Jim Wilson shared some of his story uh, around his employment journey and some of the times that the storm has uh, impacted him and what, what his faith developed and how it grew in that moment. We had um, a situation where Dan shared about a mission that kind of reevaluated their purchasing strategy for how they were going to feed their people, and God moved. We heard about Kathy Bullis healing uh, from cancer as she went through treatment and how her faith was built and grown up in that. And today we're going to hear uh, from John Lamont, who has been serving and working on the Young Adults Leadership Team for the last couple of years. He has been a, uh, a youth small group leader for how many years? Several years. It was not an exact number, but many years. And it has been a privilege over the last couple of years to watch John grow and to watch John kind of learn to lead in some of what he has been learning. Uh, and so I'm going to encourage you now uh, to turn and listen to what John has to say uh, and how some of the concepts from this story uh, have worked out in his life. chase that and you know ask someone how you can pray for them and pray for them and see them healed right so there's a level of engaging in risk and I think also part of it is that you know if you pray for increased faith God isn't just gonna zap you and 
give you more faith. He's going to give you opportunities where you can exercise your faith because it's like a muscle, right? You got to build it up and you got to train it. You got to exercise it. So, you know, for me, um, I think Jamaica was one of the first big opportunities, the, the Jamaica trip um, last year, because, um, you know, I'd be doing a lot of learning and kind of, you know, exploring that idea of God listening and then going into Jamaica really gave me my first opportunity to just dive headfirst and say, okay, God, I know how to listen to you. So let's, you know, apply this and let's listen for, you know, who you're, you're sending us to minister to today. Um, the things that you're leading us in the way that your Holy Spirit is moving and discerning that and pursuing that, right? Because that's, you know, something that Jim talked a lot about was that we have projects to do, but there's more important things than that, right? The work is going to get done. There's more important things to do than just, you know, sit on a roof and hammer all day, right? There's people to minister. There's people that the Spirit is leading us to. There's people that God wants us to talk to and interact with, right? And it could be something as simple as, you know, getting a drink of water with, with you know, one of the other team members or with um, a Jamaican, or it could be spending time with the kids there and just loving them, right? It doesn't mean I don't need to go and preach uh, a, a crazy sermon or something like that. I just need to be there and be present and listen for what God's doing and, and chase that. So I brought my loaf and my fish. So I don't know how many tuna are in this can, but it's going to have to do. This series is called Faith That Moves Mountains. And as we have been looking at over the last number of weeks, we only have a few weeks left, we've been praying that God, we've been praying to God, Lord, increase our faith. We're not here just to learn about faith. We're here to grow in faith. And I think John put it so well. You know, it's not like God is going to zap us and suddenly give us more faith by miracle. He's going to give us opportunities to exercise our faith. And if we take them, we will grow in faith. That's the way this works. That's the way this works. In Mark chapter 12, there's the story of the widow who throws in the two copper coins into the temple treasury. You know, Jesus is there. He's watching. And uh, this widow comes along and she throws in her two coins. And he says the most amazing thing to everybody there. You know, he said, I tell you, this woman has put in more than anybody else. And they go, what? That's crazy. Two copper coins. There's all these people. They're throwing in all the, you know, sums of money. He says, no, 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 no. She threw in all she had. She risked it all. And you know, faith works on a little. Jesus said to his disciples, when they said, Lord, increase our faith, he said, you know, if you had faith, the grain of a mustard seed, if you had a mustard seed's worth of faith, you could say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it would do it. It doesn't take a lot. It only takes a little but you and I have to exercise it. We have to act on it. We have to follow through with it. We have to bring to Jesus our, our loaves and our fishes and say, Lord, here I am. 
Here it is. Here's what I have. What will you do with it? How will you build your kingdom through this little that I have? That's the starting place. Our great desire is that we as a, as a church, we as a people of God, would be a place of great faith. But it starts with faith of a mustard seed. It starts with each of us, you and I, stepping out with the faith we have to do the thing that God is prompting us and calling us to do with courage and boldness and no doubt and just trusting Him and just saying, Lord, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. And then watching to see what God does. That's what we're asking. That's how the kingdom of God and the glory of Jesus appear, especially in the unbelieving world. Will you do that this week? Will you take your loaf and your fish? Will you take that with you when you leave here today? And will you take that and will you offer that to the Lord? And will you say, Lord, here it is. Here I am. Here's my little. Do what you want with it. Show your glory. Build your kingdom. Do something supernatural with it for the sake of your kingdom. That's what we're asking. I'm going to ask you to do something if you're comfortable with it. We're going to take a couple of minutes. And I want you just to think about that just for a second. What is your little? And are you, are you at the place right now where you're, you're ready to start? You're willing to say, Lord, here's my little. Here's my bread. Here's my fish. I don't even know what it is yet, but I know you're going to show me. So just prepare my heart for that. And if you're ready to ask for that, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person beside you and ask them to pray for you. Ask them to pray God's blessing over you for your courage and your faith to increase so that you will give God your little. Ask them to pray for you. And let's see what God does. We're going to take a few minutes to do that. Go ahead.